Hey guys, if you really like this episode, please support our podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Talko Supremo. Thanksgiving marks the pinnacle of fall before the winter comes, falling leaves and leaf piles to jump into. In this story, the killer takes a leaf of faith in his targeted robbery in Ohio that turns sideways and into mass murder with only one survivor. The killer in this story has one of the strangest obsessions we've ever heard of, possibly dendrophilia. All right, folks, sit back and leaf this one to me. Welcome to this very special holiday edition of Talk Murder to Me. One of the best holidays, if not the best. What are you most excited to eat tomorrow, Jen? I know this is going to sound weird probably, but my mom makes the best gravy. Is she making gravy? There was like the great gravy debate this year. Right. Yeah, I know. But it turns out that we are not having turkey breasts. We're having a whole turkey again. Yes. Thank God. Ugh, Even though nobody eats dark It was meat. un-American in this household for a couple of years. The hint for this episode was leaf. Ooh, leaf me alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so I think we're going to be going up north. I know I said New York last time, but I'm going to say New York again. And... That a body is discovered under a wet pile of leaves. Ooh. I don't really know anything about the killer, but I'm just going to say that's how the body was found. That's a good guess. All right, Jim, where are we going? Who are we killing? Um, I think we're going to go to Massachusetts, which is the site of the first Thanksgiving. And I think the person tried to make real-life scarecrows and stuffed bodies with leaves. Oh, dang, that's twisted. Yeah, I know. But I I liked your guess, and I, I couldn't use that one, so I had to make something up. That was pretty twisted, though. I wonder if ever... Yeah. Well, one, I wonder if that's that happened in the story, but two, that's I wonder if that's ever happened. Well, I hope no one gets any ideas, because I don't think I would like to be made into a scarecrow. November 9th, 2010, and we're going to King Beach Drive in Ohio. Oh, we haven't done an Ohio story before, have we? We have. We've done a few. I remember the um, the rum spring, the red rum spring of murder was oh, Ohio. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, I think there was another one that in Ohio that we did. but So go to talkmurder.com. This is a uh, realtor.com. A nice little house. It's a one-story ranch, small, with um, a nice wooden deck. I mean, it's a nice-looking house. Oh, a deck. Yeah, so well, it's... Maybe it's two-story, or maybe it has a basement, but it's nice. 481 King Beach. This is Tina Herman right there. Now, she has a son and a daughter. They're both uh, youngings, you know, uh, 10. The daughter's 13, I believe. At the time, at this time, yeah, at this, at is, this time, which is in 2010, yeah. Okay, so that house right there is the murder house, and that's for sale. You see, what is mm-hmm. this? this is off market. Well, if you would have saw this house 
in November on the 10th, it would not look anything like this. It was a literal bloodbath. There was blood everywhere. And a lot of blood. You see, there's a bathroom. This bathroom was completely bloody. I'm reading the article right now from the dispatch that said it talks about uh, selling the murder house and how they redid basically everything. They tore everything out of it to redo it. Okay, this is from the dispatch uh, posted February 7th, 2013. The subheadline says, Howard, Ohio, the uh, Mangatores... That's, I guess they're, that's the name of the people that bought the house. Here, Nicole, you can read this. Okay. Howard, Ohio. The Montagoras knew what had happened in the house and why no one wanted to buy it. They'd seen photos of the blood-soaked carpet. They could point to where each victim had been killed. Back then, Tom Mangatori had volunteered to search for the bodies. Mm-mm. See, that's your first mistake. You don't buy a murder house if you know it's a murder house before you go to look at the murder house. I mean, I think he already knew, though. No, he that's clearly what I'm saying. did. He he yeah. volunteered to search for the body. Yeah, that, probably... yeah, that's what I'm saying. This is like the beginning of American Horror Story, but in real life. Like, you don't go buy a murder house. you don't know, but he, like... I think it's different if it's someone in your neighborhood. Like, let's say, you know, nice old Gail across the street, our neighbor, our lovely neighbor... Let's say something happens there, you know, you would want to buy that house as like a memorial, right? You know, no, no, nope. absolutely not. Super fucking cheap. I mean, there's you know a what di- big difference. It, like, I'm assuming you mean if someone is murdered versus like if somebody just dies. In the no, house. no, 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 so, no. If someone is murdered, but it she's close to you or a family friend or a friend in general, no. I wouldn't. But if it's a ghost, they're not going to be mean to you if. Y'all were friends before. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, but that doesn't... No, because I was watching this Ghost Hunter show a couple months ago. Obviously, and totally You accurate. don't have to... The, one of the mediums was saying that it, it the the negative energy doesn't necessarily always have to come from a ghost. It can come from the people who commit these crimes. So I don't need any negative murder energy or ghosts or demons or portals or any of this nonsense. I just need a house... That was nice, and I can get exercised before I move in. The main part of light search warrant requests included the lines, At approximately 4.15 on November 11, 2010, Sergeant Tom Durbin and Sergeant Dexter responded to Mr. Haythorn's call, entered Mrs. Herman's residence where they observed bloodstains on the living room and hallway carpet, apparent drag marks in the bloodstains on the hallway carpet going in the direction of the bathroom, and a large amount of blood around the tub and toilet area. And they observed a gallon jug of what appeared to be motor oil in the hallway with a 10-inch trail of liquid leading from the hallway to a bedroom. In fact, the motor oil had been dripping on the rugs in several portions of the house. Now, the motor oil was used to clean the blood. Ew. Really? Well, all right. So from the book that we're reading, the killer used the motor oil on the spots that were really drenched with blood because I guess uh, the chemical actually pulls out the blood or something. I don't know if it even works. Would it still show with You know what does no, you know what does work for blood stains? What? Hydrogen peroxide. But doesn't all that stuff still come out when in forensic files with, you know, luminol and all that shit? 
No yeah, but if I cut use. my leg in the shower and I get blood on a towel, I'm not going to have to worry about forensic files. No, no, no. I'm t- yes, correct. But I'm talking like if you're oh, like a the crime killer. Yeah, yeah th- I don't think there's anything that can completely like take it away. Okay, so the detective doesn't work either. The detective also remarked, quote, a remarkable amount of blood in three separate areas of the house, each of which led to the main bathroom of the house. Now, keep that in mind, the bathroom. Now, you saw a picture of the house, Nicole, Mm -hmm. the uh, bathroom. I'll go back and show you the bathroom. I mean, it's a pretty big, large bathroom. So there's... um, a lar- uh, it's not a large. I mean, it's a regular tub. Um, there's a big vanity toilet, obviously, but it's like a pretty big room. It's about as big as our bathroom. In the bathroom were large stains and a bathtub and shower wall covered in suspe- suspected blood. Okay, so that's basically the house for you. Now, let me tell you what actually happened. We're going to November 9th and then the morning of the 10th. Okay, there was a killer outside of this home on the 9th, very late at night. In fact, he had dropped his car. He's got one of those Toyota Yaris's. Yaris? What's a Yaris? It's like a, I think it's like a Prius. A Taurus? No, a Yaris. I have never heard of a Yaris yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... That's a terrible car name. You know how like most car names are like Endeavor or, you know. Yeah, it's like this. Wow. Yaris. I... Like one of these little pooter cars. Poop, 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 poop. Uh, we're going to insult so many Yaris drivers right now. All right. So he parks his Yaris um, a mile or two away from this house. Now, the reason he picks this house right here is simply one thing. As you see the garage down here. Yep. Okay. So that garage door he noticed when he was driving by that the garage door was always broken. So it would... Not shut all the way down. In fact, the mm. detectives realized that it was completely off the tracks, off its tracks. So it was easily accessible for someone or a small animal to crawl under there. That's the reason he gives wow. for picking this house in particular. So he was really kind of under surveillance of this neighborhood, just trying to find yeah. what. And is he the lives best. relatively close by as well. But he actually, if you see. Around the house is woods back there. So he actually brings his sleeping bag and camps out in the woods the night of what's going to go down, what I'm going to tell you. And the reason he did this is because he sort of knew the family's schedule. He knows that the guy, the man of the house, mm-hmm. not the husband, is, is the, like the live-in boyfriend, mm-hmm. he wakes up it was like 3 30 or 4 a.m every morning he works at the target distribution center so he drives there and he's literally at work all day and in fact this particular day he wasn't even coming home he was going to sleep with his friend you know one of his guy friends and then they were going to go golfing the next morning Mm. now an important point about the woman that lived there Tina Herman, she was actually the first victim in this story. She was living there with her daughter and son and her living boyfriend, but she was in the process of finding her own place. She was actually going to break up with the boyfriend. Okay, so was it his house? I think it may have been her house for sure, and she was just going to move out temporarily until he left. 
Oh, that's a good question. I didn't actually saw who owned the house. I do believe it was hers because the article from the dispatch that I read earlier said it was her house, but it may have been mistaken. This is Tina Herman right here. I'm putting all these pictures on talkmore.com. So she's a young, young mom. Young it. Yeah. Yeah. She looks pretty young in this, in that picture. Granted, that was in 1997 with a baby. So how many kids did you say she had? Two? Two, yeah, a daughter and a son. This is Stephanie Sprang. Now, this is victim number two. This is a friend of Tina Herman. Now, today, they were going to wait to the boyfriend leaves for his job in the morning at 334. Mm-hmm. And then they were going to spend the whole day, without him knowing, they were going to go find her a new place to live. So it was kind of a gotcha. covert operation. But now the guy sleeping in the woods right now doesn't know all this stuff. He just kind of knows that he leaves the male of the house leaves super early and then she usually goes to work at her job and then the house will be open. He is basically a robber. He wants to so steal he, everything. He is hoping that nobody's home. Exactly. That's the ideal situation. Gotcha. All right. Also who lived in the house, uh Sarah Maynard, she is a 13-year-old. She's the daughter? She is the daughter, yeah. She was 13? This, no, no, Tina Herman's the mother. I'll show you the daughter oh, in a second. Oh, my yeah. God. I thought that was the daughter. I was like, no, whoa. This, this is the daughter, Sarah and her brother. That seems about right Her now. brother's name is Cody, uh, Cody with a K, K-O-D-Y. You see, this is yeah. Sarah, the you know, the daughter of the house, and so she's older than Cody. Okay, that's the family member right there. Now, I'm showing you a picture of the blood. You see... Yeah. The, the drag marks. That's an, Oh, it is like a just it, it, you would think it would be like a wide trail of blood, but it's a, like a pretty thin ish trail of blood. Yeah. So you see this pool of blood right here. Yep, so when the body stays the there too long, it obviously saturates certain spots. Mm-hmm. And this is where he would pour the motor oil from what everyone believes. He didn't actually know anyone was going to die today. Okay. He was just there to ransack the house, and he's done that plenty of times. He actually loves doing it, breaking and entering. He feels like this rush being in someone else's house. This is the guy right here. Let me show He's young. The man is sleeping out in the woods, waiting for the family to leave. And like clockwork, the man in the house does leave at 3.34 in the morning. And that actually wakes him up because, you know, his his car leaves and it wakes the killer up. Right. Who's... He's in the woods in his sleeping bag. I feel like, like it a... would be cold in Ohio at this point. Oh, it time. is. It's freezing. And like a creep, he's in there with his sleeping bag. He what wakes a weirdo. up. Yeah, he oh yeah. Why he... is he not like chilling at least in his warm car? Because he didn't want the car to in be his Yaris. He didn't want the car to be associated with, you know, be close to the crime scene, I guess. Mm-hmm. But in case there were suspicious cars parked nearby or yeah, something. Yeah, so he is woken up at four a.m. when the man of the house leaves and then he goes back to sleep now he's woke up again once tina herman leaves actually stephanie her friend drives her jeep over there Uh like a jeep wrangler or something like that and then they both leave to go you know find that new apartment right all right okay so this is on november 10th now we're now we're looking at before lunch this is november 10th He goes into the home. Like I said, he crawls under that garage door and he is living life because this. Why has he waited that long? 
Well, he had to make sure everyone was gone. Mm. He loves breaking and entering and being in someone else's house. It just gives him a rush. So he crawls through that little garage door, and now he basically owns the house, right? He's going to start ransacking stuff like that. It's a weird thought to have somebody in your home like that. Yeah. Both of the kids have already left for school because it's school day. So they're yeah. going to be home 334. Now, Tina actually returns home when he is in the house. He didn't hear anyone pull up or anything. She actually came in the door and he is in the house ransacking it. Okay. She comes in with a few bags of groceries because she all she did was go grocery shopping. Right. She wasn't gone for very long. Exactly. She wasn't gone for very long at all. It's important to point out that Tina is about 120 pounds. I mean, you saw the picture. She's kind of petite. Mm -hmm. She sees this ransacker in her house, and she immediately starts screaming. She drops the groceries on the ground. And the intruder, using a blackjack, which is like a big heavy club, hmm. clocks her over the head. But her adrenaline was pumping so much that a usual person would be knocked out, especially someone as petite as her, but hmm. she wasn't. She was hit three or four times and she was still fighting. Wow. Yeah. He actually pushes her into the bedroom. That's when he pulls out his hunting knife and starts stabbing her. Uh-oh. Repeatedly. Okay. Now things are out of control. Now he's a killer, a murderer. Okay. Well, she yeah. may not be dead yet, but just as he starts stabbing her, the friend, Stephanie Sprang, also walks in. Oh, no. Yeah. So now he's confronted with someone else coming in the home. So he immediately runs out of the bedroom and leaves Tina there on the floor and goes to stab Stephanie, you know, because he's got to kill her too. Now, wow. Stephanie either. No one knows because this guy, he was reluctant to say anything, but either she ran herself into Sarah's bedroom or was dragged there by the killer. All oh. right. She was then stabbed twice in the chest. That's awful. Stephanie, like Tina, was no match for Hoffman, who overpowered her and stabbed her twice in the chest. The stab wounds were so savage and were dealt with such force that Stephanie died almost immediately. Hoffman didn't stop there, however. He continued to stab Stephanie several more times to make sure she was dead. Her blood spattered the walls and pooled on the floor of Sarah's bedroom. So tonight we are talking about the Matthew Hoffman case. This is a case mm. I was looking through my emails and, you know, trying to get some good story ideas because a lot of people send me uh, emails with the request. And I saw that Savannah... Our yeah. good Tacos Primo Savannah actually sent me some emails like a month or two months ago. And she actually put three excellent cases in there. Ooh. That, like every one of them, I was like, man, I've got to do this one. And this case was the one I thought would be most appropriate for Thanksgiving, at least. So the case is the Matthew Hoffman case. But the book we are reading from is called The Girl in the Leaves. Oh. This is the cover of The Girls in the Leaves. Whoa. It's from the author Robert Scott, and I was doing a little research on him. He's written upwards of 20 true crime books, and I actually never read one of his before. But this is a really excellent book. It lays out the whole story in a unique way that I really haven't seen. It gives both the killer perspective and an overview perspective of what an outsider would see. So it gives both, and it switches back and forth. And it's wow. really 
quite interesting how he wrote this. So it's and it's short too. It's only a four and a half hour read. So as far as true crime books, I think it's really well done. So what we're looking at in the cover is that where was Sarah hiding in there? Oh, I'm gonna get to all this in a second. You're probably like, what is going on? It looks crazy. Okay, now Stephanie was stabbed twice in the chest. Now, she's down, obviously. Mm -hmm. He's going to return to Tina because Tina may not be dead yet. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she's still alive. And he starts stabbing her over and over, puncturing both lungs and vital organs, including her heart. And I'm going to go over the autopsy report later. And I'm also linking that stuff on TalkMurder.com. I know that this is his first violent crime, or at least that you've said so far. But he's at least prepared to be violent because of what he's bringing with him. Like, if he oh, has yeah. to be. Oh, yeah. He's not like, oh, I'm just going to run away. He's yeah. oh, prepared yeah. to be violent. This if he guy to. knew that there was a possibility. You're going to really hate this guy. And this guy's a piece well, of shit. Well, I already do. I mean, you're really going to hate this guy. Then he drags Tina to the tub. And with a hunting knife, he begins cutting her up. Well, for what purpose? I'm going to tell you why. All right. He goes leave, you know? Well, here's the thing. And this is the thing with the motor oil, too. In his fucked up brain, which he is not a very smart guy, but he's got two dead women. Well, one dead woman right Mm -hmm. now, and the other one's dying in the other room. He wants to cover up the murder as best as he can. And the way he's going to do that is he's going to set fire to the house. But if you set fire to the house and you leave the bodies in there, the fire inspector or, you know, whatever, fireman, well, the arson investigator, if you will, is going to see the bones Mm -hmm. and they're going to put two and two together and they're going to be able to tell that she was a stab, you know, victim. Does that make sense? So what he was going to do is he was going to cut the bodies up and take them with him. And then he was going to set the house on fire. So it was like nothing ever happened. And in fact, the reason he did the motor oil on the blood was because if a fire blazes an entire house, that really saturated blood, like you saw in that one picture, that could still be seen by a good arson investigator, a good detective. So he was going to try to clean it as best he could before he lit it on fire. That was going through his head. He knows more about this than... I would expect. Well, he's got a prior arson case, which I'm going to go into. This was no easy task, but Hoffman had some hunting skills and was strong. He knew that the knife would not cut through bone, so he disarticulated the woman's body at the joints. He goes and grabs some plastic trash bags. Now, this story is very intense, I want to tell you. you I mean, you already seeing it's very intense, but this story is like a roller coaster, but... You don't go up that long-ass hill. You just start going fucking straight down as fast as you can. That's how intense this story is. Mm -hmm. So your adrenaline is probably going to race in when you're hearing this story. Anyway, he goes to the kitchen. He grabs some plastic bags. Now, he is currently cutting up the body of this, Mm. the, the homeowner, you know, that was just stabbed that had caught him trying to ransack the place. The dog starts barking. Well, the dog was barking the entire time. Oh, no. So he, instead of, I don't know, letting it out, letting it run away, he kills it. And then he throws it in the tub because guess what? The dog's got to be chopped up, too. He dismembered the dog's body after he started dismembering Tina's body 
And now all the body parts are going in these trash bags, all mixed together. I know this is bad. Isn't it? Oh my God, that's awful. Then he turns back to Stephanie. Now she's dead. Okay. Mm-hmm. But a quote from him, I began to process her as well. Process meaning wow, cutting up, processing it like a, like a job. slaughtered calf. Now, I said the motor oil was used for the blood, the heavy blood stains and even some of the drag marks. Is motor oil flammable, too? Um, like, does I, that... I don't that know. It's up? not flammable. Hmm. And I honestly don't think it even get up blood stains. I, I don't know. Well, that's kind of... Uh, maybe I was thinking, oh, well, maybe if he really dumps it on there, it'll light it on fire and really dispose of that. But um, I mean, maybe. I don't know. I don't know why he did that. Maybe, maybe it is. I don't know. All right. Now... Things get worse. Oh, great. Because now it's getting in the afternoon and, and school's out. The kids come home. They both walk up to the door and they immediately know something's wrong. They open the door, the front door, and they see a blood stain and they start yelling out, you know, Mom, Mom, are you in here? You know, no answer. But all of a sudden down the hall, they see this big guy, this you know, silhouette running full speed at them. Oh, no. Sarah, the 13-year-old, actually swoops under him because the guy, Matthew Hoffman, the killer, is running at them full speed. He tries to stab, you know, just basically collect them and stab them at the same time. She swoops under his arms, and she actually runs into the bedroom. Now, remember, both of the women, as of this point, are not... They're chopped up. They, well, they're not all the way chopped up yet, but they're not seen, right? I mean, they're both in the bathroom in the process of getting processed, right? Chopped right. up. So, so, the, so the daughter does not know. Yeah, exactly. Now. All she sees is a bunch of blood everywhere. All right. Mm-hmm. She runs to the bedroom, starts dialing 911. But he caught her before, you know, she could even press the buttons, throws the phone down, pulls out that hunting knife with the blood all over it. And stands right over, and right as he's about to strike, he stops. For some reason, he stops. And instead, he cuts the lamp, electrical wire from the lamp that goes to the wall, and just bounds her hands. Wow. Okay. An important note, before we go any further, the daughter did survive. Wow, okay. Okay. So, but she was the only one. He killed the nephew, the son, He killed the son. And if and she didn't actually see it happen, oh. but when he was running at the door, the son tried to exit and run back out the door, and he was stabbed right in the back. I'm surprised that he let this little girl go. Well, you'll then. see why in a second. Sarah later recalled, we had a love seat by the door, and Cody was going to take his shoes off there. I saw blood near the door, and Mom wasn't in that in the house. She always greets us when we come home at one point matthew cuts his own finger and you know he's all mad but he ties up her and he's like don't scream don't do anything just sit here or i'll kill you now she doesn't know her brother just died she closes her eyes all right sarah also remembers this because she is a survivor so she says that she remembers quote he was really angry his voice was like a yell almost He was telling me what to do. It was like when someone yells at you and it's a command. He then throws her across her shoulder, gags her, carries her down to the basement. There's an old sled 
that's on the basement with the rope on it. You know how you pull a sled with the rope? Mm -hmm. He ties her hands up to that sled so she won't do anything. Now, for literally an hour or two, because remember, the the man of the house isn't coming home. He's actually spending the night at his friend's house. So he's not even going to be home after work. But how did he know that? He didn't. He just got lucky in that He got lucky. He then puts a pillowcase on Sarah's head. The whole time, she doesn't know anyone's dead at all. She eventually asked about all the bloodstains, and he says, no, I didn't didn't kill anybody. I just tased them. I mean, but she didn't obviously (laughs) believe that. I mean, I... Can't imagine what she's going through, right? You know, like, God, what it must have been going through her head. Now, she's downstairs in the basement, remember. But she can hear this man, Matthew Hoffman, rummaging through the kitchen. You know, obviously trying to find knives or whatever. Then she keeps hearing the water from the bathroom being turned on and off, like the bathtub water. And she has no idea what's going on. Now, it's obvious that he was dismembering these bodies. I mean, this took like three hours, three or four hours to do. He was in there. I mean, he had both uh, adult females, Tina and Stephanie, plus the dog, plus the little boy, Cody. Yeah. So he was in there for hours. She was hearing all this stuff in the bathroom Uh and not knowing what was going on. Then she remembers getting blindfolded. Now she walked down some stairs because he picked her up, took her back upstairs And she remembers walking down a few short steps and being put in a car. Then she can kind of realize that she's in the garage right now. And she was put into Stephanie, the the mom's friend, her Jeep. Remember Mm -hmm. I said her Jeep was there? So she's now in the back seat of this Jeep, kind of slumped over. Her hands are tied. There's a blanket on top of her. She was pushed up against these trash bags. There were three or four trash bags there. Now, she didn't know what was in the trash bags, but it was the family. You know what I'm saying? And that was rubbing against her the whole time. Oh, God. Um, It's awful. Oh, my God. She finally managed to wiggle her blindfold off, and she looked, and she was sitting at a baseball field that Hmm. because they had driven. Like, he had left the house with her. Now they're at a baseball field, and she recognized it because that's where Cody, her brother, plays baseball. And he didn't burn the house down before he left. No, he didn't. He was going to come back to do it. Also kind of risky, don't you think? Oh, yeah. So I'm showing Nicole a picture right now. This is the Pipesville Road baseball field. So she wiggles her blindfold off, and you're seeing right here, I'm showing Nicole a picture. It's just a small little baseball field where... Her brother. Nothing special, yeah. Yeah, nothing special. I was thinking of like the one down the street. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a little small one. Yeah, like little for little kids. He leaves to go to the Gap Trail parking lot. It's a little trail. Mm-hmm. Now, that is where his car is. So basically, at this baseball field, if you go way back there, you know, where no one's going to be because cars aren't supposed to go back there, he parks his Toyota Yaris back there. He drives the Jeep. And then that's where his car is. So he can switch out cars easily, you know, without worried about getting bothered by cops. Once she gets her blindfold off, the man comes back and says, quote, I told you I was watching. If you do that again, I'll kill you. Multiple times he tells her that there's more than one person, a friend that he's with, that is always watching her. And yet he's also threatened that he's going to kill her multiple times and he doesn't. Exactly. 
the whole time she doesn't realize that her brother Cody is dead. Remember, he tried to run, but he was stabbed. Actually, the book says he tried to run and Matthew Hoffman plunged the knife into his head and oh. he was dead before he hit the floor. Oh, that's awful. Matthew Hoffman takes the 13-year-old Sarah back to his own house in his car. That's now, weird. Yeah, so he waits till his neighbors aren't watching. Now, I'm going to get to the neighbors in a minute. They all think he's a weirdo. Complete weirdo. And this uh, guy yeah, is a fucking weirdo. You know, he, he drives me, a fucking Yaris. I mean, come on. He reminds me, this case reminds me a lot of the Jamie Kloss case. Yeah, I'm thinking that too. Um, that guy, you know. Anyway, he took her to the bathroom where he locks her up, you know, basically ties her up to the sink. Question. So did he leave the bodies in the Jeep? Yeah, the bodies are in the Jeep. He just uh, left them abandoned bags of bodies mixed and dog. He's going to go back and finish that after he burns the house. I know, but like he's like missing. He's I'm not like trying to critique his, oh, serial, no, his I know. killing ahead, right yeah. now. But, you know, it's just like kind of strange. He just leaves it there like, OK, nobody's going to find this suspicious if they peek through a bloody trash bags. She opens her eyes and she's in the bathroom now. And it's a sight to see. So this is kind of what she sees. This is the house right here. Go to talkmer.com to see these photos. Okay, so this is the one of the walls. Okay, so there's um, a peace sign drawn on the door with the word peace. I mean, there's a slipknot, you know, that band Slipknot. Yeah. Or whatever. I mean, it's just a bunch of shitty graffiti. But there's like stuff. It's like almost like children's artwork drawn on the walls. Yeah, it's like that very childish yeah, like it's not done with spray paint. It's done with like maybe Sharpie. And this is his house. He owns this house. And he's writing on the walls. Yeah, All right. like a fucking child. Cool. This is the bathroom that she was locked up in. This is the t- like the faucet thing. What? So there's drawings. It says investigators also found strange images drawn in Hoffman's bathroom where he had kept Sarah tied up. So in so this is the bathtub, and so on the side of the bathtub, he's drawn in like Sharpie, where it's like this man's mouth, and this the faucet where the tub water would come out is like coming out of this man's mouth. That is a really disturbing piece of gr- little graffiti that he's got going on. There's like a dog in the background, a duck, some more people. I kind of, is this supposed to be Hitler with the guy in, with the mouth? Oh, it kind of looks like Hitler. Yeah, you had to think about it. Um, the, well, that's not the weird thing. The weird thing. Oh, that's not weird. No, that's I mean, that's that definitely weird, weird. Okay, it's but fucking the, weird. The really weird thing about this guy is when Sarah finally opens her eyes and gets to venture inside of the house, every room in the house, every room, the floor, instead of this nice carpet we have here in the studio, he has leaves, actual leaves. These are what? Yeah. So these are leaves, leaves from outside. See that? They're everywhere. And they're lined like he's got a tarp underneath. Yeah. And look at all these bags of leaves oh, right those here. Those are all leaves. Leaves. Yeah, leaves. What the fuck? What does he just like to go like jump in pile of leaves? I, well, I'm gonna get to a little bit about his background but that yeah this is, is like fucking weird is that in his fucking living room? yes his whole house was like this here's a video we're watching right now 
Whoa. I'll embed this video on talkmore.com, so go see that. Damn, Jen's missing out. That is the weird... I mean, that's just strange. Well, he has a, an obsession with leaves. Like a sexual obsession? Fuck, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people Shit. have some weird things in, you know... I mean... Wait, is that top picture the bathroom? Well, this is just like another room with all these leaves. Well, there's a toilet. In a faucet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a bathroom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's his bathroom. All these leaves. Oh, my God. So there's just bags and bags and bags of leaves. And they're like Kmart bags, like shopping bags, all lined up along the wall. Very neatly piled. But then it, we're in the, it's in the living room. It's They're all spread out. But there's a blue, blue tarp um, that is at the bottom. So it's not actually touching the floor. So that's his house. What a fucking whack job. Oh, yeah. I mean, killings and robberies aside, what a quackadoodle do. So now Sarah's tied in the bathroom. He then goes back to the Jeep, you know, that's parked at that baseball field and that trail. Now, he knows a perfect place to hide these bodies, these bags, if you will. So he goes to Walmart. Now, the one smart thing he did was not why you don't pay. don't go to Walmart. Well, exactly. But he didn't use credit card. He used cash. But they actually caught this guy two days after this or one day after this. Oh, really? Yeah, because they they just basically saw who bought the stuff I'm about to tell you. And then they saw him on camera, like, walking out with all this material. Because they can probably look at, even if it's a cash transaction, like who bought these things. Yeah, they found that the cops did a, a really good job. stamp it. Now, I do want to say that someone who saw the house earlier, the guy that bought it said he participated in the searches. Mm-hmm. When the cops finally get to the house, because they do welfare checks and all that stuff, but they didn't know anything went on until they finally entered the house. So even though there's all this blood, they can actually come out and say that everyone's dead. Right. So now everyone's a missing person. You have four missing mm. persons and a missing dog. So there are search parties out to go find all these people. And in fact, after Matthew got locked up and was captured, that is when the search parties really went out because he wasn't talking. And Sarah mm. didn't know anything because she didn't see anything. She didn't see him kill anybody or whatever. But yeah. I mean, everyone kind of knew that they were going to find bodies and not right, not, not, not was alive. You know, alive people, right? So he goes to Walmart. He buys a large blue tarp, Nicole. He bu- <laughs> Which was under those leaves. Or maybe yeah. he bought a secondary blue tarp. He buys some large plastic garbage bags. He buys a turkey sandwich. I mean, he's hungry, obviously. And this is going to show you his psychology right here. He walks up to the register and, you know, it's, no, it's past... Halloween. He's like, oh my God, there's Halloween shirts for one dollar. You know, they're on sale. So he buys a Halloween shirt that's on sale for one dollar because it was on sale. He's dismembered four or three people and a dog, and he is buying stuff to cover up the crime and he decides to buy a fucking Halloween Maybe he shirt. He's buying the Halloween shirt to throw the police off no it's just crazy he's but also, a nut job but it's interesting what the things that he purchased not anything that would necessarily make me be like oh killer you know yeah it's a tarp and what was it well here's here's the thing with the tarp and stuff 
when when the cops finally get to the home, he had left all this stuff, including the Halloween shirt and everything, in the garage, the tarp and the trash bags. He had left it there. He didn't even take it with him. It was still in the Walmart bags. Hmm. So that's how they 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 saw that. Okay, this is a odd purchase. You know, the receipt says one in the morning. You know, let me go and see what this is. That's how they caught him because he left that shit right there in the garage. He didn't do anything with it. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's so weird. He drives back to the home. This is the next day. And at this point, he switches the Jeep, the stolen Jeep he's driving, for Tina's pickup truck. Now, that pickup truck has some problems. The gears wouldn't work. It was all grinding. So he couldn't even fucking figure this shit out. He drives it a mile or two because his goal right now is to go get gas so he can light the house on fire, which beats me why he couldn't just do that in a Jeep. I have no fucking idea. But he wants to do it in a truck. He wants to change cars. It's I don't fucking know. ridiculous. Anyway, he drives this car, this truck that had the gears messed up, and he only drove it like two miles, and then he abandoned it, and now he's walking because he can't drive it anymore. He couldn't mm-hmm. figure out how to really drive it, and he didn't want to get pulled over. So now he abandoned that Jeep, and he is now on foot, right? I mean, this is crazy. Yeah. Bizarre. Now, he walks all the way back to the home, a few miles, and he drove back to his home around dawn instead of burning the fucking place down like he was going to do. I wonder if he forgot. He is just a fucking moron, man. Like, I mean, at this time, he goes back home and Sarah, she thinks in her head, okay, I'm going to kind of befriend him because, you know, she thinks she's about to die and... She's probably right. So she thinks of a strategy. I'm going to try to show him some friendship or whatever, and maybe I can win the sympathy card kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And so she asked about the drawings and even asked if he was an artist. And he didn't say anything. He just shrugged. Nah. She eventually asked, why are there so many leaves? Mm -hmm. And that's when he says, I use them to keep the house warm because there's like insulators, right? Now, she was hungry at this point. Now, I remember I said that he didn't have electricity, and he didn't have electricity for, like, months, right? This guy was, like, living without electricity. But I don't even think you can do that. I, I think the police come out, right? After such a long time? I don't know. I don't know. It's different in different states, I guess. So she says, I'm hungry because now it's going on day two, and he has nothing but, this is what he says, Quote, I have some dead squirrels in the <gasps> freezer. Do you want me to cook you up one? Oh, no. I'd rather go hungry. Yeah. So she says no and opted for some cereal instead. Now, with no electricity, that milk is fucking sour, right? Or you know maybe what I'm she's just eating it dry. No, she was using the milk. She was gagging. Oh. Yeah, I would have oh. just ate it dry. Now, cops do finally enter the home after... No one reports to work, obviously, and both the kids don't report to school. Because all they have to do is walk into the house and they see all this stuff because he never burned it down. Eventually, he drives his own car back to go pick up that blue pickup truck. Now, that pickup truck is on the police radar. They don't know where it's at, but they're looking for it. And now he's like, I'm going to go drive it back to the house now. Yeah, exactly. He's still going now. This is like the 12th. This is after the cops are processing the house, right? Oh, good lord. There's police everywhere. Which also, you would think that the neighbors would have seen this guy coming in and out of the house at this point. 
So there are police everywhere, and he's still trying to figure out how he can go burn this place down. And he doesn't know the police are there yet. A detective, Aaron Phillips, spotted him as they were looking for the pickup truck, but he was on his own car. And he was suspicious because he was at that that part, that baseball park, kind of mm-hmm. about to go get the pickup truck. The police officer went up to him and asked him for his ID and stuff like that, and it checked out. And he said he was just waiting there for his girlfriend, Sarah. Now, the police officer didn't make the connection at the time, but Sarah is obviously, you know, the first name he thought of, but it's the girl that's locked up. Mm. He says the only reason he knows her name is because he saw it, like, on the fridge, you know, like a report card or something. Okay, this is Sarah's own words right here, if you want to read this. I was really afraid when I was first taken there. It was so dark, you couldn't see anything. There were no windows, so you couldn't tell if it was day or night. He would come down there sometimes and just stand there and stare at me. He didn't say a word, just stared. And then he would go back upstairs. I don't know which was worse, him not saying anything or him saying something. I couldn't figure out what he wanted when he didn't say anything. It was hard to tell what he was thinking that way. Mostly, I just laid alone in the dark. And even though there was blankets and stuff he put there, it was always cold. At least it was better than lying on the floor of the bathroom where he first kept me. That was not only cold, it was hard, too. So she's in the house in the basement. He makes her a bed of leaves, and she sleeps on the leaves, right? Now, the only way she's staying warm is these big, you know, oven gloves that she had to put on or whatever. Now, the reason that he didn't kill her the first time is pretty obvious if you think about it. You know, she's 13 years old. He wanted to sexually assault her, and he did, you know, through this time. But um, luckily, because they know who he is, and they immediately, they get the search warrant, all that stuff, November 14th, 2010. uh, They call it a no-knock search, where they basically just, Take that battering ram and bow and then run in there. So they figured out it was him because of the Walmart thing. The yeah, because of the Walmart, Walmart thing. purchase. Yeah. And they're like, this is too strange. Yeah. And probably checked his record. Oh, exactly. I'm going to get through his record in a second. I heard someone come into the house and they, and they yelled, get down, get down. Then they came downstairs and I think they kept saying, I think she's here. And then a whole bunch of guys came down and at first I thought they were bad guys. But I saw helmets on them and I knew that they were saving me. The girl had brown jersey gloves on her hands, and they were duct taped. Her hands were tied up with yellow rope, and so were her ankles. I identified who she was, and I asked if she was okay. The girl advised that she was okay. You see how the author, like in the same uh, yeah. same few paragraphs, they do he does the perspective of the girl, and then he does the perspective of the the That's police. Cool. Yeah, so it, the book's really good. It, it really changes it up. I've never seen that before. Multiple perspectives like that. Matthew Hoffman is interrogated right now, and I'm going to get to that in a second. But first, I want to go through his background a little bit. All of Matthew's friends said he was uh, a fucking whack job. Well, yeah, eventually they said he was a normal guy and a fun guy. But in the summer of 2010, that's when things began to change. So he was normal up until three months before this happened? I I don't know what the fuck happened. I mean, he he was always fucked up. I'm going to show you that in a second. But he he really started to go downhill where he was just mad at the world and stuff like that. In 2010, the summer, 
his dogs disappeared. Now the neighbor, Donna, says, quote, I believe in my heart that he killed those dogs. He started pulling back and acting strange. I don't know what set him off. He was just getting more and more weird. He started setting up squirrel traps. And before he was catching the squirrels and letting them go. But now he's butchering them and even barbecuing the squirrels. Oh, God. That is one, fucking weird. And two, nasty. The neighbor, Donna, she actually has a son and a daughter that would always go over there and play. When he started getting more and more weird, they couldn't even leave the house. She was scared for them to even be seen, you know, by him. Now, he actually had a girlfriend at the time. She had a son, and they all lived together. She was reserved and quiet. What? Well, she started becoming more reserved and quiet, and she knew that things were just going downhill. He was just acting more and more strange, more weird. I mean, I think he really does have a mental disorder or something. Um, One day she takes her son and she leaves and she comes back for a box that she left there and he just beats the shit out of her, starts choking her. The police report says, quote, we were in his living room talking and he got upset and pushed me against the wall. He had his forearm up against my neck and was choking me. I got loose, but he grabbed me again and we tumbled over a chair to the floor. I was fighting to try to get him off of me, but he choked me on the ground. Now that's the police report filed by his ex-girlfriend. He begins to get more and more strange leading up to the murder. He was seen by his neighbor as always climbing up a big ass tree and perching up there for hours and just looking at people like a fucking weirdo, like a tree in his backyard. Uh, He would just go up there. He would take a hammock and just hammock up there all day. He was obsessed with fucking trees. Hmm. Obsessed. I mean, you saw, look at all the the leaves. leaves. Like he's got a disorder. I don't know what it is, but like something's wrong up there, man. Is there a tree loving disorder? I don't fucking know, man. He actually lost electricity, which was really bad because he he got fired, I'm gonna go in that second. But he was also addicted to computers. So when he loses when he loses electricity, his only outlet is is gone. is gone. Right. And it's all trees now. All yeah, all trees. <laughs> I like all I, trees. All I want to look this up to see if there's something where like is he in love with trees, or you know, I, I mean, know. he's sexually assaulting a girl, but. That is fucking bizarre. Um, now, how let me, old is he? He's like in his thirties, maybe. Yeah, he's in his thirties. So he graduated in two thousand from high school. So he's thirty right now. He's at thirty eight. And this was eight years. Okay, so he's yeah. thirty. So at he this was time. yeah. But as soon as he gets out of high school, he starts fucking up. I'm about to go over there right now. Right when he graduated high school, actually. He um, moves to Colorado, and he his grandmother lives out there, I believe I uh, said. And he started working at Fast Eddie's Tree Trimming Service. Go fucking figure it out. Are right? you serious? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, we know where the fetish begins. Yeah. There was nothing strange about him in the beginning. He just blended in. But as time went on, he struck me as really strange. He would just stare off into space. That was actually his former employer at Fast Eddie's Tree Trimming Service. Now, obviously, he got fired because, number one, he didn't know anything about trimming trees. And he, he just got the job because he was in love with trees. Well, he, he would say that he was an expert in, what is it, like, 
um, arborist. Ar- he was an arborist and all this stuff, and he was just a liar. So, and the first of November, this is leading up to the murder. Remember, he leading up to the murder. He was fired. So now he's got no job. His girlfriend has just left. Right. He's got no electricity, no heat. Is he's getting killed cold. his dogs, and he's barbecuing squirrels. Yeah, so he is not in a good place. <laughs> Fuck no. Yeah. All right, so let me talk about his Jesus background. Christ. He loved doing something as a young kid. Can you guess what it is? Climbing trees. Climbing trees. Oh, my God. He is legitimately in love with trees. Yeah. He's legit in love, I think. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. He would always be I'm climbing really trees. I'm really weirded out by this alone. I know. What the fuck? Yeah, dude. It's fucking weird. I mean, he's got like a sexual thing for trees. I think he does. Fucking oh, weird, we could dude. come up with a, a couple really good yeah. puns for this title. Yeah. Oh. His classmates called him smart, headstrong, but also rebellious. I don't think he's smart. I think he's a dumbass. But anyway, in 1997, his parents divorced and he moves with his mother to Mount Vernon. Now, one neighbor actually said he thought that this kid, Matthew Hoffman, was extremely strange and just unhappy. You know how some people are just not just like depressed, you know, you get depressed, sad. Just you just Well, not that. Like there's people that just don't like life at all, right? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like some They're people. are just fucking miserable. Yeah, that just wish they weren't even on the earth kind of thing. They're the type of people that are rude to people when they like accidentally bump into them or something like that. Instead of being like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. They're the people who are like. What the fuck? Like, bleh. So that neighbor said, quote, he was really lost. He was on a bad patch. This is a telltale sign. The neighbor's dog hated him. It would bark at him all day for no reason. And Matthew would go over there and just stare at him, the dog, for an hour or two and not even say anything, just stare at the dog. In 2000, he moves to Steamboat Springs, Colorado, where his grandmother lives, as I said. This is right after he graduated. Now, he's working as a plumber's helper for Scott Burns Plumbing Services. He's actually living in a shitty-ass motel, Unit 6 at the D-Bar K Motel. And he's around this time in mid-September 2000, this is 10 years for the murder, he starts stealing road signs for some weird fucking reason. Why I asked why he did that is because he said he was about to move back to Ohio and he wanted a souvenir. Which, that's a pretty nice sign. I do like that, but... Yeah, but you gotta go smaller, dude. Yeah, you can't steal the fucking town sign, dude. That's fucking yeah. ridiculous. Um, like, you can get away with a street yeah, sign, street maybe. street sign, maybe, man, but... Um, yeah, not but, uh, like... The town wow. sign, like, are you fucking and it's, ridiculous? It's actually very large. Like, you can't steal a fucking eight-foot sign. On September 14th, 2000, a cop called him and asked you him... You know why he liked it? Why? Because there's trees on it. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. (laughs) That's why he wanted it. How much you want to bet? Yeah, probably. I'm putting that picture on talkmore.com to see the trees. Wow. I think he's fucking in love with trees. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking tree, man. Oh, my God. Holy shit. This guy is fucking crazy. This is a good story, man. Savannah, you picked a really... She's got... Uh She sent me three that are really excellent, and okay. every one of them has something really unique. Like this, this is very, this is very unique. unique because, like, who'd have thought someone was so obsessed with trees? It would have leaves in their house. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'm going to spoil this for you a little bit. 
He actually burns down a condo before he leaves. Because remember, he's a plumber's assistant. He actually goes... Now, this is how incredibly intelligent he is. He goes to this condo where he's supposed to be unclogging a drain or putting a new fucking disposal in or some shit. And he burns the place down. And I'm going to tell you why. But obviously, they connected him that to because his name was on the service ticket, right? You know, but anyway... Mm. This is before he admitted that. And on September 14th, 2000, a police officer from Steamboat Springs calls him and asks him straight out, did you steal these signs? Okay. No. Because they actually found the signs. No, they didn't. They found the signs in his, that shitty motel he was staying in. He left the signs there under the bed. What an idiot. So obviously the next fucking, when they go to... Redo the room. There's the signs. And that shit's all over this small town of Steamboat Springs. Like, who took the signs? Well, here they are in this hotel. Well, who's living in this hotel? This asshole right here. So he gets called and he says, yeah, I stole them. Just just out of the blue. Yeah, I stole them. Quote, I wanted some souvenirs from Steamboat. That's what he said. So the cop gave him an ultimatum. He said, listen, you either return here on sep- by September 26th or you will return here being extradited back because I'm going to put a warrant out and you're going to come all the way back to Colorado. Whoa. You either come here on your own and you fucking... Damn. Now, the reason they wanted to get him there was not for the signs. They could give a fuck about these signs. They wanted to question him about this arson that he did. He lit this condo on fire. Oh. But they wanted to talk to him straight up. But he doesn't think that they know about that. that oh, yeah. He just didn't put it together. It's like an idiot. This was at the Ridge Condominiums. Now, the reason he burned the place down is because after he installed the garbage disposal, he knew that the owner was out of town. So, you know, he ate some turkey in the fridge. He watched some HBO, Secession on HBO. Great show. All this stuff. And he made himself at home. And he put fingerprints everywhere. And that was his reason. But I was thinking... The fucking homeowner probably wouldn't even know. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, your Uh, reason to burn this place down is because your fingerprints are everywhere? I'm pretty sure they're not going to notice if you ate the couple slices of turkey. Exactly. It's like an idiot. But he's running around after he spent two days there watching HBO and jerking it in the fucking bathroom or something. He's like, fuck, my DNA's everywhere. I got fingerprints everywhere. Burn the house down. Burn the fucking house down. Like a fucking idiot. What the fuck is wrong with this asshole, man? So, anyway, since he's going to burn the house down anyway, he might as well steal some shit. So he steals a stuffed mountain lion. (laughs) Like a fucking... Like, like a, a taxidermy mountain lion. Oh, oh! I thought you meant a stuffed animal. No, a fucking what? Yeah, a mountain lion. <laughs> oh my god, dude, go smaller! Like uh, Jesus, that mountain lion. He steals a wooden dresser. Now he actually. Oh, what the fuck? He like he's fu- making like, <laughs> the worst things to he, possibly fucking he steal. He actually had to, to borrow one of his friend, well, not friends, someone who else lived in the hotel. He borrowed his truck so he can go steal and, this and shit. And they're like dolly to move it. Like, can I but He fucking left all this shit in the hotel anyway. <laughs> he didn't even take it home with him. <laughs> What? Yeah. The he F. also stole a random so now, bag of clothing. Oh, so that's how they connected him to the arson. When they find the Steamboat Springs <laughs> sign, they're like, oh, 
wait a minute, this dresser uh, is not from the hotel. <laughs> what the fuck? Okay, so. Also, this stuffed fucking mountain lion. He also drove the owner's Suburban around, and there were fingerprints in that. But honestly, he didn't have to burn the fuck. Oh, he also stole a fucking fax machine. <laughs> What? What the fuck? Oh he steals God. a fucking fax machine He's and a mountain Holy fucking shit. Jesus wow. Lord. Oh my God. So, I wonder if he stole the dresser because he liked the wood grain that was on it. Oh no. So he actually leaves all that stuff in the Suburban. Not into the hotel. My bad. I misspoke. But that's where... <laughs> He says, quote, oh my God. I took two items, one of which was on the night of the fire. I was in that condo five times. I stayed there and watched TV because my own place didn't have cable TV. I cook myself meals and used the jacuzzi. Wow. I burned the place to cover up the crime because my fingerprints were all over the place. I couldn't have cleaned all the prints. I had no choice. I had to start the fire. Dude. If you just, but before you stole something, all you all you did was watch some fucking HBO and eat a turkey sandwich and get in the jacuzzi. What trouble could you have got into if the guy would have got a fingerprint analysis over there and try to connect you to eating his fucking turkey sandwich? You didn't have to burn the fucking place down. It's like a fucking idiot, dude. Agreed. Agreed. He drives a Suburban to the gas station, the stolen one. Quote, I parked the Suburban, walked back to the condo, and sat inside watching television all day. I regretted what I knew I had to do. I watched TV until the you early didn't morning. You have to do that, buddy. <laughs> I watched TV until the early morning hours of the 28th. I poured the entire 10 it's gallons. Like he's savoring his last moments yeah. in the condo. Like, oh, my God. I poured the entire 10 gallons of gasoline on the floors of all the rooms in the condo and ignited the fuel. Then I immediately walked away. They basically, this is how the interrogation goes with that. So they're like, did you steal these signs? Yeah, I took them. He's like, do you know anything about this arson fire? He's like, no, I don't know anything about it. Did you work? And then literally this is how it goes. No, I don't know anything about it. Did you work for so-and-so plumbing? And then he says, ah, shit, you got me. I did it. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) It's like, wow, dude. Fuck. The tape's like, wow, all right. (laughs) Shit, I didn't have my recorder on yet. (laughs) Cha-ching. Can you repeat that? Jesus fucking Christ, man. Oh, my God. Now, he actually served six years in prison for that, but he gets out... He actually goes to prison for eight years because he pled guilty, but he only served six for good behavior. And this is what he says. This is his personality. This is an exact quote from him. The A number one thing that money can't buy is God. Along with God brings love and the beauty of nature. These few things are omnivorous and omnipresent in every aspect of our daily routine. (laughs) That actually makes no sense. Well, omnivores is like a plant eater, right? Being an omnivore? Yeah. No, that's an herbivore. An oh. omnivore eats both. Oh, okay. Well, these few things are <laughs> omnivores. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. He's an absolute moron. <laughs> yeah, dude. He's a fucking... No, and I might be skipping ahead here a little bit, but you said that he had broken into... 
Did did he break into homes prior? Oh yeah. To this so too? he moved back right after he gets out of prison. He moves back to Apple Valley, Ohio, where his mom lives. He gets his own house. He actually gets a job at that tree trimming services, and he's also Another breaking into houses. Tree trimming service? No, that same one. This oh, is before oh, the murder. Yeah. So it. he does six years for this arson, and then he goes back to Ohio and starts eating squirrels and and all kinds of shit, and then. Uh, but he's breaking into houses a lot. So during the interrogation for the murder, we're going back to after after the murder here. He first would not talk at all. And he just, he claims that he came back to his house and he found Sarah in his basement tied up. Oh, he found her. Yeah, he found her oh, there. okay. He didn't actually she just, kill anybody. She just magically got there. Yeah. Got it. And now they're trying to not only get him to confess, but they're trying to find the bodies as well. And he's not giving them any information. And he says he found her there. And that's all he knows. If you want to read this. Hoffman continued with this bizarre version of events. Quote, I found her in the house and she was tied up. So I took care of her. I found her on Thursday and I didn't know how she had gotten there. But she told me I had, quote, done it. I knew I had done something wrong, but I didn't know what it was, and I was trying to piece things together. Now, on November 16th, so six days after the murder, he is not talking at all. He's been questioned day after day after day for like three days, not saying a word. Finally, he gets one of the detectives and says, hey, can you come to the bathroom with me where there's no recorders or there's no cameras, and I'll talk to you there in the fucking shitter right it's like really weird and so the detective agrees he goes in there and he says listen so when i was like in my cell last night i had this dream right and in this dream i saw myself because i was like you know looking at you know how like you see yourself in a dream all the time he was seeing himself i'm always me in my dreams like in my body oh i'm not that's weird I wonder if there's some weird psychology behind that. Because I'm always looking at myself. That's weird. I think that's really weird. (laughs) Fuck you. What the fuck? (laughs) Tree lover. Shit. What do you... I don't know. I think that's weird. I I think I'm always How many listeners out there see their self as opposed to be themselves in their dreams? We should definitely look this up after. Yeah, I know. That's very interesting. He said he was dreaming... And he was looking at himself, and he sees himself open up a bag, a garbage bag, full of human body parts, and it really disturbed him. So he tells him the dream, and he's basically detectives like, dude, just tell me, tell us where the fucking bags of body parts are. It's like, you know what I'm saying? This is. He also tells the detective, okay, if I tell you where these body parts are, I want a sealed confession— of the location of the bodies that can only be opened because I'll give it to my attorney and it can only be opened after I'm dead. And then he says, I want you to take All me right, out. kiddo. <laughs> Let's go take you out back and fucking shoot you. <laughs> well, that's exactly what was going on. Here, read this. I'll pretend to escape and then I want you to shoot and kill me. After I'm dead, the attorney will reveal the location of the body. <laughs> so obviously the detective's like, no, I can't murder you. Uh, wow. So, and then he says, finally, 
after all this time of not talking, he says, quote, I'm a monster and I can't live with what I've done. I just want to die. I saw horrible cut up things. You did horrible cut up things. He agreed to reveal the locations of the bodies to void the death penalty. Detective David Light later noted on Thursday, November 18th, 2010, Matthew Hoffman and his attorneys reached an agreement with Knox County Prosecutor John Thatcher to reveal the bodies of Tina Herman, Cody Maynard, and Stephanie Sprang were located. This is the location of the body. It is a a beechwood tree. Oh, my God. That's 40 feet in the air. He climbed that tree and stuffed them down that hole. And you can see how they had to cut, how they had to get a big ladder and then cut into the tree to get the bodies how out. Did they, how did he get the bodies in there? Or did, was that he hole? He fucking climbed the tree. No, the hole was this. The what you seen earlier. He climbed the tree and... Oh my God, though, he cut the body parts in those tiny pieces? Yeah, there were tiny pieces. They were in little bags. And he stuffed them in that little hole. This is the actual tree that they were in. They would have never found those fucking bodies. No. Never. I mean, they would never found those bodies. And it makes me wonder how many bodies are in trees like that. They would have never found those bodies. Go to talkmer.com to see that tree. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was thinking like, oh, yeah. I mean, if there was like that square hole, yeah, you can stuff some things down there. But that is a tiny little Yeah. No, this square hole is what they had to cut to get the bodies out. I wonder if he was. And so the bodies were way down here. You know, these trees are hollow on the inside. You know? Was it dead or is that just the type of tree? I think it's just type of tree. You know, it's like one of those elf trees when the elves live in there. The Keebler Elves. Or Keebler, Keebler Elves. <laughs> this is them cutting the fucking tree. Go talk more.com and see this. Yeah, a tree cutter had to cut a hole in the tree to remove trash bags filled with body parts. You see the hole? This is the hole. You see him cutting it? Wow. Fucking crazy. Quote, officers had to drive the winding path for approximately one half mile, then walk into the woods a short distance. There they found what they were looking for, a tree with a large opening approximately 30 to 40 feet up was pointed out. Now, that was from Detective Light, one of the detectives on the case, his case notes. It was a beech tree, B-E-E-C-H tree. If you want to read this, Nicole, this is from Special Agent Dietz Diets. This is from his case notes. Special Agent Dietz noted the tree was approximately 70 feet tall and had obviously living branches and leaves at the top. Mr. Crunkleton indicated, based on the information provided to him by Matthew Hoffman, that the beech tree was the likely location of the missing victims' bodies. The tree was solid and intact, although approximately 40 to 50 feet above the ground. The main section of the trunk divided a large opening that was visible. This opening appeared to provide access to the main trunk of the tree, which appeared to be hollow. Okay, the tree was 11 feet and 6 inches in diameter. Around the tree, the, the mm-hmm. girth of mm-hmm. the tree, you know, you hear that a lot. That's a big ass tree. And it was 30 feet up to its lowest branch. They would have never found any damn bodies. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how he fucking climbed up there. But well, I mean, he's been climbing trees no all branch. his life. Yeah. I mean, he's been climbing trees all his life. So well, he must use a ladder, I guess. I don't know. I mean, there was no ladder in the Jeep or anything. I think he'd climbed up there with his. Being like he is. Uh, I don't know. 
this is also from the case notes. Due to their location deep inside the tree, two additional cuts in the trees had to be made to reach all the plastic bags. Numerous garbage bags were removed. I mean, it's not very long after this happened. Oh, it's real quick, yeah. The, I mean, this is a week's time. Oh, yeah, the cops did an excellent job. I mean... Good for them. Yeah, good. I mean, seriously... We do, we do so many stories where they do... Yeah, yeah but I, I mean, they had a lot... Shitty, but, you know. They had a lot to lose. Oh. To, I mean, because they had four people missing, basically. Yeah. So they did an excellent job, you know. Detective Sergeant Roger Brown added, the agents removed the trash bags from the tree as I took the photographs of the gruesome contents, which Special Agent Wilgus confirmed, contained various dismembered body parts, including the heads of Cody Menard, Stephanie Sprang, and Tita Herman. The remains of a small dog was also found in one of the garbage bags, along with the bloodstained towels, clothing, hat, and shoes. Upon examining the backs and torsos of the victims, numerous deep lacerations were observed. Okay, let's go over the autopsy report, um, and we're wrapping up here. So this is from November 19, 2010. Several black plastic bags containing portions of three dismembered bodies intermingled with clothing, towels, and personal possessions. Tina, now we're talking about Tina right now, and we'll talk about the others later. Tina had multiple cuts, including a three-inch wound. Quote, the well-developed adult female body is disarticulated at the neck, across the upper abdomen, bilateral shoulder joints, bilateral hip joints, and bilateral knee joints. There was a 14-inch vertical incised wound from her upper chest to the lower part of her torso. This was most likely the fatal wound. 14-inch. That was a, a samurai kind of slice. Yeah. From the upper chest all the way to the torso, like a samurai sword. Fucking nuts, right? She had incised wounds in her aorta. Both lungs have been stabbed. Three stab wounds in the left lung and three in the right. Stephanie, her friend, uh, deep knife wounds. Her body was dismembered at the joints and showed, quote, a certain amount of sophistication in the cutting technique. Now let's talk about Cody. Seven deep stab wounds in the torso. One of the one on the upper right chest. Quote: gaping stab wound passing downward, backward, and to the left through the subcutaneous tissue. He also had a lung stab wound, four stab wounds to the back, and blunt blunt force trauma to the head. With everyone, all these victims above, the following: post mortem dismemberment with an attempt. At concealment. Okay, so Matt, like I said, didn't say anything. But what really pisses me off is he would say that he actually took care of Sarah. Oh, God. And, yeah, it was refuted quickly by her. But this is some of the things he would say. I felt that she, Sarah, was sufficiently subdued, and I drove to McDonald's. I brought back food, removed her buns, and then we ate. We tried to comfort her, and I told her everything would be fine. Sarah adamantly denied all of this story later, insisted that he hadn't left her alone, hadn't removed her bindings, and that the only food he had given her, the cereal with the sour milk, had been after she'd had to beg for something to eat, nor had he comforted her in any way. This, he also said this. She liked that bed. It was extremely comfy. Sarah's account differed here. She said that at this point, she had been left... Not on the bed of leaves, but on a floor in the cold, dark bathroom. Yeah, so he's just a big piece of shit. Um, he's like almost trying to make himself out to be a hero for her. Yeah. 
and he's just awful person. Um, Sarah did actually do a couple page testimony that she told him during the sentencing. I'll link that on Talk Murder. It's kind of long. I don't want to go into it now since we're running out of time. But that's the story. What do you think? He got life in prison without parole, so he's Good. in prison forever. Good. And yeah, that's the story. That is pretty wild. Um, I really would love to know more about this whole leaf thing. I feel like I need to um, look up the love of trees. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. This story is nuts. Um, and the the whole leaf loving in trees thing. I don't know. So thank you, thank you so much, Savannah, for requesting yes. this awesome story. You sent two more that are really awesome. And honestly, if it wasn't for Thanksgiving, I would have had a lot of trouble picking which one to do, but I feel like the leaves kind of fit in. Yeah. You know, fall. Yeah. It works. Uh, and we're, we're sorry that, uh, Jen, we lost Jen due to some technical difficulties as we were trying to record. Um, but you know, she'll be back next time. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you like this story, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our tree hugger, go to talkmer.com slash join. Become a Talkos Primo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it dedicated to you on the Talk Murder Me podcast. My name is John here with Jen and Nicole. And until next time, let's make like a tree and get the fuck out of here.